Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. This time of year, you know, it's funny, I, I had an article from, I think, 2014, 2015, from Ravi Zacharias's website on, on Thanksgiving, thankfulness. And I texted it to Dalton Robertson this morning, because I'd, I'd read it this morning again, and some of the comments I'll make this morning came from that article. So I texted it to Dalton, you all know my friend Dalton, and here's his response, dude, Thanksgiving was last week. And so I kindly texted back, you're an idiot. And so he sent me an LOL. It, it, it is interesting how that we have this, this holiday of Thanksgiving. And it gets so, that what it does, when, when Thanksgiving gets here, it feels like we're in the starting blocks. And it's ready, set, go. And you are non-stop Busyness, activities, get-togethers, shopping, decorating, just absolute busyness. Are you all with me on this? Laura, nonstop. So starting this week, you know, we had family coming in, so she had to scrub the light bulbs. You know what I mean? Just craziness. Pray for her. She has a problem. But so just she started busy, busy, busy. And the menu, it, it's grown, so all these different things on the menu. And she got up this morning, and she said, I'm staying home today. It's this, and this is what happens to us this time of year. So what I wanted to do, I know that I told you we we're going to be in Zechariah, but I, I wanted to just take a minute, take a few minutes this morning, and let's look at the transition from Thanksgiving to looking forward to celebrating the birth of our Savior. And I want us to focus on, on gratitude and what gratitude really is. Let me read something to you. The spirit of thanksgiving runs against the temptation we face as human beings, listen, to assert our self-sufficiency. So Lydia, from the time she was two, I can do it myself. It's interesting. Jacob was just the opposite. He never wanted to do it himself because he had a sister who'd do it all for him. Just take care of every bit of it. He didn't walk until he was seven. No, it was a, close. It's interesting. Few of us enjoy the feeling of indebtedness. Now, I, I think it's sad to say that our culture is kind of shifting on that. Do you remember trying to pay for a meal with your grandfather there? You ever tried to buy a meal for your grandfather? There, there's a certain generation. It just wasn't going to happen. I was at my, so not this past summer, but summer before last, I went to camp with the teenagers. My, I have an uncle that lives near there. So I hadn't seen them in a long time, and I was going to take them out to dinner. And I said, uh, let's go to such and such. I'm buying. And listen to what my aunt said. Then we're not going. How many of you know people that are like that? Just sweet. I mean, just really, really, uh, they're the kind of people that they're going to pay their own way. Now, it's hard to give people like that gifts sometimes, you know, and that can be annoying. But this feeling of indebtedness, few of us enjoy the feeling of indebtedness. This is seen in our readiness to return a favor 
once someone has expressed kindness to us. And what we say is, I owe you one. I'll return the favor. I am in your debt. Uh, it, this is, so this week, we had Justin and Melissa. Melissa's Laura's sister. Justin, her husband. You all have met them. He's preached here. He's a pastor. Their boys were here. We have a blast with them. Lydia and, and uh, her boyfriend were at the house. And What's his name? Josh. And, <laughs> and then um, our niece, Anna, was there. And so Justin and Melissa... They just can't take it that we wouldn't let them pay for anything. And so this morning I saw on my printer a $50 gift certificate to a restaurant that we like from Justin and Melissa as they left. That, that there's this feeling of indebtedness. None of us enjoy the feeling of being a mooch or a sponge or of being indebted to someone. Such responses together... With the more modest one, please let me know what I can do for you. Allow us to express gratitude without acknowledging the chronic shadow of dependence that so rudely dogs our lives. See, most of us can repay a meal. Most of us can repay if someone helps us with our car or someone helps us with, a, with an individual need that we have. Most of us have the capacity to do something in return for that person. And people who, who don't acknowledge a debt like that, you don't generally stay friends with people like that very long. One-sided relationships are a bummer. And I wonder, when we look, look at our text, when we're looking at second, or I'm sorry, at Ephesians chapter 2, I want us to think about a couple of things. Let's start reading in verse 10. For we are, look at what it says, Ephesians 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, in the flesh made, made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are now made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Lord, help us understand your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me explain this text briefly, and then I want to make some comments about it. So in verse 10, we are his workmanship. We did not make ourselves, right? You understand that, that nothing can make itself. Have you ever heard someone is a self-made man, a self-made man? Now that's talking about their career. Imagine somebody think they actually made themselves. How many think that's weird? 
right? Gumby did not make himself, right? No one has made himself. As believers, now this is not talking about the act of creation. This is talking about our salvation and what God has done in us when a person is saved. That is, they have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life. They acknowledge that they are sinners, that they deserve hell. They don't deserve anything greater than that. They deserve hell. And that Jesus Christ paid their penalty of sin on the cross. And that's what the text is saying. And that he, he died and he rose from the, He was buried three days, three nights. And he rose from the dead, proving that he was, is, and always will be God. And that his sacrifice was accepted by the Father. So when we acknowledge that we are born again, when we are born again, we are his workmanship. He does the work in us. We're his workmanship. And then he wants us to do good works after that we're saved. Those good works don't save us. As a matter of fact, the text actually says that. Look at verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So our salvation doesn't provide, I'm sorry, our salvation is not by our works, but our salvation, because we're saved, it ought to produce good works in us or cause us to perform good works, all right? Then it says in verse 11, wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. Why is that significant? Because God had chosen from the foundation of the world to work through the Jewish people. And if you were going to come to God, you had to become a Jew. You had to be proselytized into the Jewish faith. When Jesus said to uh, Israel, you're, you're a city on a hill, you're the light of the world, the purpose of Israel was to bring people to the one true God. They were God's people in the world, and they were to represent the one true God in the world. And so the only way to come to God was to become a Jew. Well, Jesus Christ, when he came and the Jews rejected him, now it was opened up to all of the Gentiles... And now we simply, we don't become Jews, we become followers of Christ. We, we are born again, we become Christians, and as Christians, we're neither Jews nor Greeks. It doesn't matter what your race is, it doesn't matter whether you're a male or a female, we're one in Jesus Christ, amen? We're one. We didn't do that. Jesus did that for us. Are you all with me on this so far? Okay. Then look at what it says in verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And I love verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who, were some, who sometimes were far off are, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So we can come near to God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Did we do that? Who did that for us? Jesus Christ. And this is where gratitude comes in. What can you give Jesus Christ in exchange for that gift of eternal life that he has given us? What do we have that we can pay him back with? Nothing. Nothing. There was a song that Michael Card did years ago. It was called Joseph's Song. And in it, he says, how can't... It's Joseph. He's looking at Jesus and he says, how can I raise a king? All my life I've been a humble carpenter. How can I raise a king? What do you have that would impress Bill Gates? 
What do you have that would impress Donald Trump or uh, Michael Bloomberg or any of these billionaires? What could you give that person that would impress him? And and God owns everything. What are you going to give God that is going to impress him? Do you know what God wants us to give him? Gratitude. Gratitude. Let me make some comments about that. And this should be short, famous last words. But I want you to think about this. Number one. An unexamined sense of self-sufficiency instills in us a subtle but false attitude of entitlement, thus making it, listen, difficult for us to accept the sense of vulnerability that is part of true gratitude. Let me, let me read that again. An unexamined sense of self-sufficiency instills in us a subtle but false attitude of entitlement, thus making it difficult for us to accept the sense of vulnerability that is part of true gratitude. Now, that, that sense of entitlement. So we're Americans. Anybody an American here? You're, you're a citizen of the United States. That grants to us certain entitlements. We, we have the freedom of speech. We have freedom of the press. We have all of those things that, that, the, that the Bill of Rights identifies for us. We have the expectation of safety in our nation. That's why we have a military. We have, we have certain things that we expect to, to be represented if we have to go before the courts. And we, there are certain things that as Americans we are entitled to. Now, one of those is not health care. Right? You are entitled to provide for your own well-being. That's what we are entitled to do. Are are you all with me on this? We're entitled to provide for ourselves. And we we have a system of government and an economy that's been established so that we can have prosperity. And that's the goal of our system of government and economy. And, of course, because those things aren't taught anymore, uh, we have a whole generation of people who believe that they are entitled to other people's things. I would love to go to a Bernie Sanders rally and ask him for his car keys and say, it's my turn. See, he, he would believe that that car is his property, wouldn't he? Right? In his three houses, do you think he has locks on the doors? Why would he do that? It's his property. The sense of entitlement, and let me just say this, it is his property. I have no right to his car or houses. Are you all with me on this? And yet, a sense of entitlement, when you live, when you grow up believing that the world owes you something or that God owes you something, you're going to be, you're setting yourself up for a life of disappointment. Amen? All right, so let me read you the next thing. Ever since the tempter said to Adam and Eve in the garden, ye shall be as gods, human beings have never given up the temptation to either elevate ourselves to the level of God or pull God down to our own level so that we can deal with God as equals. We are always looking for a chance to say to God, I can take it from here. Every person at every level, we need to understand that we are not God. 
Listen, I am not like God and God is not like me. And we really make a mistake when we think that God thinks like us. That's a problem. Or that we think that we are gods. We are not gods. We're people. And there is a God. And that God is to be worshipped. That God is to be worshipped. And the necessary component of worship is gratitude. And it's interesting that we as believers, we can get a sense of entitlement. The, the author of the article that I was talking about, I wish I could remember his name, I'm sorry. But he mentioned um, the 10 lepers that Jesus healed. And here, Bible quiz. How many of them came back and thanked Jesus of the 10? One. And here's what the Bible says about that one. He was a Samaritan. The other nine were Jews. And the author wondered this. He, he, he speculated. He said, I wonder if one of the reasons that they were not thankful is that they thought as Jews that they were entitled to the benefit of the Jewish prophet in his ability to heal. It's a good question, isn't it? But the Samaritan, he was thankful, and he came back and thanked Jesus Christ. Samaritans were half Jewish and half Gentile. They were part Jewish, part Gentile. And, of course, the Jews looked down on that. And so this is an interesting thing. I wonder if when God blesses us, something, not, not an intentional thought, but maybe we have this thought that, well, we're Christians, we deserve it. You know, we have liberty and freedom and blessing in the United States. Well, of course, we're a Christian nation. Of course, we deserve it. We deserve this. We deserve Black Friday sales. <laughs> we, we deserve this stuff. Folks, we deserve hell. That's what we deserve. And so there are certain entitlements that come from being an American. Praise God. How many of you are thankful for that? Seriously. You're very grateful. Folks who are not grateful for this nation have never been anywhere else. They don't have anything to compare it to. I'm just telling you, we're blessed. We are very blessed people. And yet, why do we deserve to be Americans? Why, do, why, did, why did I deserve to be born in Pueblo, Colorado? Why, why, why did God allow me to be born in the United States to a mother and father, both of them present in the home, and for my, my mom and dad to both be saved and to have walking around sense, to understand what it's like to work and to provide for the family and... Did I just, seriously, did I deserve, what did I do to deserve godly parents? Nothing. Nothing. How could I pay my parents back? Now, let me tell you what, how my parents would want me to pay them back. Live a godly life. Be a productive citizen and live a godly life and raise godly children. How many of you, that's seriously, that's all you want from your kids. That's it. If young people, the blessings that you've had, the blessings that you've had in your life, the only way you can pay your parents back is by giving them respect, by being obedient, and by being productive citizens that honor the Lord with their lives and to raise children that do that. Amen? I think I said this last week. I heard it from somebody. Um, you can either... Discipline your children or plan to raise theirs. That's good, isn't it? 
This is good. And so what we need to do is we need to have a, this attitude of thankfulness and of gratitude. And the thing that, that just destroys that is an attitude of entitlement. So, young people, here, here we go. You ready? You guys want to have a fantastic Christmas? Do you? You really want to have a fantastic... I'm talking about presents. Let's, let's get the spiritual stuff out of here. You guys want to have a fantastic Christmas? Here's the best way. If you want to have a fantastic Christmas, do this for me. Just do this, yeah. Okay, parents, there's several that didn't. You don't have to buy them anything. They don't. You ready? Expect nothing. Expect nothing. Do you know what happens then? Everything's awesome. And when you expect nothing, everything is a bonus. We were talking about it. My parents didn't have, there were times when there was really no money. And I remember one Christmas, there were these little boxes with a piece of paper in. And you'd open up the box and there was a piece of paper. This entitles you to one bike. And they were just hoping somewhere along the year they'd have enough money to get me a bike. And that was our Christmas. That's the, th- those were the presents that we got that Christmas. Can I tell you something? I lived. It's okay. It's okay. You want all of all of us. You want to have a great Christmas? Expect nothing, but plan to give a lot. It's such a wonderful thing when we live that way. Now imagine if we lived our lives that way. Expect nothing from anyone, but give everything you have in your job, in your life, in your relationships. Live with open hands and you're just giving love and you're giving uh, acceptance and you're, you're giving encouragement and you're giving grace and you're giving joy and you're giving acceptance. All of those things that we want that God through Jesus Christ has given us and we live a life giving that, expecting nothing back. You know the only way to be disappointed is when you expect something and don't get it. I love this. It's impossible to disappoint God because he knows exactly what you're going to do. And he's never disappointed in you. Now, he may chasten you when you disobey or when you don't do something that he has asked you to do. And any loving father does that. Is that right? And that's what he does with us. But imagine if we lived our lives absolutely expecting nothing from anybody. Do you know what happens when you get a gift, when you expect nothing? It's awesome. That, that Sunday when Justin came up and told me that you guys are sending me to the Bears game. I'm so glad they won last week. It's going to make this week so much better. That's this week. This coming Thursday, I get to go to the Chicago Bears game. They're going to play the Cowboys. Tony, you and me, man, right now, he's a Cowboys fan. That was so fun for me because I wasn't expecting anything. Man, I get to go to Chicago this week and go to the Bears game. You guys don't. I'm better than you. Let me read you this. Without a clear sense of how little we are entitled to, we cannot really come to terms with the need for gratitude. An attitude of entitlement is an effective impediment to gratitude. And this is such 
Young people, this, this ought to really connect with you guys. From the inventions that give us comfort in this world to the young soldiers who give their lives in the battlefields to protect our livelihoods, an unobstructed view of our lives reveals the fact that we all owe debts that we can never repay. All of us who live in this free country, we all owe debts that we can never repay. But here's what society asks from us in return. Be good citizens. Work hard. Keep up your own property. Pay your taxes. Vote in people that will protect our rights and liberties. And be thankful for what God has given us in this place. See, we don't deserve to have factories in Shelby County. We don't deserve that. We need to earn that. And as we have it, we need to make sure that those companies are glad that we are in them. Amen? See, this, that's the sense of gratitude. Your company only owes you what they have agreed to give you in exchange for your labor, in exchange for what you provide what you give them. That's that free exchange that's vital in a just society. But listen, the ability to have that, go and, go and start a business in Mexico right now. See how well it goes. Find out who you have to pay money to. It's, folks, we live in a different world. We are so blessed and we need to be thankful. I wonder how many, just, I, I wonder What is it today that we think that we are entitled to? And when we look back at our text, and it's talking about what Jesus Christ has done for us in giving us the free gift of eternal life, do we deserve it? As a parent, now my children are pretty much grown. Lydia is on her own. She's teaching over in Columbus, and Jacob is in school in Florida. And it's interesting the only thing that we want from them is for them to be thankful for what we've done for them. You parents, how many of your parents understand what I'm saying on this? You, you don't want them to buy you presents. As a matter of fact, I'd rather them not spend their money on me. Save it. Put it in the bank. But what I want is for them to say, thank you, Dad. Thank you for the life that you gave me. Thank you for the, the, the home that we grow up in. Thank you that you enabled us to get an education so that we can have a job. I tell Jacob, if he ever actually does get married, that he needs to thank me that I bought him braces because he could eat a corn cob through a picket fence. You know what I mean? Uh, thankfulness. Thankfulness. That's what we want from our kids. And this struck me this week. As I was thinking about that from my children, doesn't God have the right to expect that from me? And young people, let me tell you this. I was ashamed of myself because I can become dissatisfied and I can think I need this. Why don't I have this? Why doesn't this work? Why can no one else drive? I can get these ideas in my mind And then I've got to stop and look up and say, God, thank you. What am I entitled to in eternity? Hell. What has he given me? Everything. He not only has removed the judgment, but he has made me an heir and a joint heir with himself. 
It's amazing. We will never begin to worship God until we recognize that we are bankrupt debtors. An attitude of gratitude is an indispensable impetus to worship. Look at this text again, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus. How many of you, you know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior? Heaven is your home. You know for sure Jesus Christ is your Savior. If you don't know that, the, the words that were in, the, in, in our text, it, it talks about the enmity. Verse 14, it says, For he is our peace who hath made both one, that's the Jew and the Gentile, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. So there's no more dividing line between Jew and Gentile. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments. That word enmity means war. And when, I think it was Voltaire, a famous skeptic, when he was dying, someone said, have you made peace with God? And he said, I did not know that we had ever fought. See, every person who is not saved is at war with God. And God wants to give you peace. And he'll give you peace when you just say, you're my God. You're my Savior. I deserve hell. Please. You already paid my penalty. I accept that payment. Please forgive me for my sin. That's salvation. That's what it is. You acknowledge that he's God and that you're not. That's what salvation is. I heard someone say years ago, you know, there are four spiritual laws. Billy Graham would always talk about that. This guy said, there's really only two. God's sovereign, you're not. Repent. <laughs> that's, that's it. And sometimes people who are away from God, they say, well, that's not fair. Who is God to expect me to repent? Well, he's your maker. He's your maker. He's entitled to it. He's entitled to that right. Thankfulness. How many of you would say this? Pastor, I've been a little pricked in my conscience today about my own level of gratitude toward God. Would you raise your hand? I have. Now, some of you are already so thankful and grateful. I'm not. I'm the, I'm the person who thinks that I deserve everything, don't I? I said to Phil Edwards one time, I, I said, uh, I, I need to get a doctor's degree because, I, I should, no, I said, I should have a doctor's degree because someone as smart as me really ought to have one. He, he teased me about that for 20 years. What's, why? Because I didn't do the work to get the doctor's degree. He did. Dr. Reback there. He did the work to get the doctor's degree. I didn't. Which of us deserves the doctor's degree? Dr. Ree. And honestly, when, when Jacob was being born, I am thankful that he had that degree. Because I don't want... That's nasty. I, I don't want to do that. Are you thankful today? Really just two thoughts. Do I have a sense of entitlement? If I have a sense of entitlement, that will really hinder my worship. I need to... And, and this is a muscle that you have to develop. 
Um, I read an article that talked about that feeling that when you get the new car or when you get the raise or when you get a gift, that feeling that comes, it doesn't last very long. That's why this attitude of gratitude, this sense of, of bankruptcy, that's something that has to be developed. And that's something that I, starting about two days ago, that I want, really want to practice to instill in my life an attitude of thankfulness and of gratitude and of my own bankruptcy to pay it back. How can I ever pay back the life that God has given me? I can't do it. Let's all stand together. Lord, I'm so humbled when I step back and I get quiet and I turn off all of the distractions and I start thinking about what I truly deserve and all that you've done for me.